Good morning, and welcome to Go in Peace, a daily podcast from the Houghton College Chapel Office, where each day we take a look at one of our college lectionary texts, and we ponder provocative thoughts so that we can truly go in peace to love and serve the Lord. My name is Michael Jordan. I'm Dean of the Chapel at Houghton. It is Thursday, October 8th. So glad you're with us today as we're thinking about worship this week. For me, this is such a rich week every year in our college lectionary to be able to think about worship together, and it's a lot of fun to podcast about it for the first time. So today's lectionary texts are Psalm 66, 2 Kings 17, 5 through 18, and 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 26. And I'm going to read from that 1 Corinthians text. I'm actually going to go a little bit further uh, in the text for the sake of my podcast today. Um, I'll start in, in verse 17. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, but because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper. And one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Do I, should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I handed unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So when I was a boy, um, communion had a lot of mixed feelings for me. Um, I was raised in a fairly traditional church. Um, uh, I say traditional, of course, as I teach liturgical studies, I realize that tradition means a lot of different things to different people. And my tradition was actually fairly young, even though it felt old to me, um, in my what I called traditional Baptist church, which generally sang hymns um, that dated back sometimes as far as the Reformation, but mostly were written between 1850 and 1920. Um, We celebrated communion once a month, I shouldn't say celebrated communion exactly, because often communion um, was almost kind of a a reenactment of the Last Supper. Um, It was not terribly celebratory, and it was always, always preceded with a time of intense, (coughs) excuse me, intense interpersonal or intrapersonal scrutiny. I needed to look inside to see if there was something that was going on in my life that would disqualify me from coming to communion. And this text that I just read would often be read um, in the same way. We, we often um, would read 
the text, we'd of course read it in King James, but the language of everyone who eateth and drinketh without discerning the body eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself. It's a pretty scary text to read when I was a little guy. Um, I certainly didn't want to eat or drink damnation. Um, and I didn't want to participate in something that was going to make it more likely that I was going to go through that. So at the same time, though, I really wanted to do what God said. And, and in, in, a, in a Baptist tradition, we call communion an ordinance as opposed to a sacrament to highlight the fact that we don't really do it because it grants us grace necessarily, but the primary reason for doing it is because it's an ordinance. It's, it's, a, it's something Jesus told us to do. He ordained it, so we do it. Um, it took me a long time to sort of wrestle through that passage, and it wasn't really until seminary that I began to feel at home with it when someone encouraged me to read that text in context. The idea of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord, as we understand it, popularly is often about looking inside. But, but Paul doesn't only talk about looking inside, but is casting a vision here for what communion has become in a group. As he looks at the Corinthian church, he's saying, you have this ritual meal that you're supposed to be celebrating all together. But, in point of fact, you're not celebrating it all together. This is likely because, um, then as now, um, poor folks generally had to work uh, at less convenient hours, and wealthier folks either didn't have to work at all, or could count on working in a way that was done by the evening, and then they would be able to go ahead and have their dinner. And what happened was the wealthier members of the church went ahead and uh, this meal that was designed to be eaten all together, this dinner that was designed to be kind of a, a sign of who they were together under Jesus, the, the wealthier folks began to say, I'm not sure I really want to wait around for so-and-so to get off work. I'm just going to go ahead and eat now. And I'll hang around and maybe we'll talk uh, when so-and-so arrives, because um, I, I like them, but I also, I'm hungry, and I want to eat now, and it kind of fits my schedule better to go ahead and eat now. And consequently, Paul says, by the time that everyone uh, comes to eat, um, one, uh, there's no food left when the poor folks get there, and some of you are drunk and have eaten your fill, and others um, don't have anything to eat. And instead of reinforcing the truth that the sign of communion is supposed to give us, instead of reinforcing the truth that um, there's, there's one loaf that we all take and there's one cup that we all drink from and we're all one in Christ, instead of saying that, communion has ended up saying something different. Right? Communion has instead ended up demonstrating the differences and the stratification among you instead of your unity. And so because of that, if we want to think about communion as performing something saving for us, as we, if we want to think about communion as a way of reenacting the central story of our salvation, if what we're doing is counter to what it's supposed to do, we don't end up eating and drinking salvation. We end up eating and drinking condemnation because we have kind of ritually reinforced this division between us instead of ritually torn it down. So there's such a release and understanding that vision that way. It sets us free from that cycle of introspection that just drove me crazy as a kid. It really, it really, I had some real difficult times with that. It, and it, it's, so, it's so good to be released from that. At the same time, it also forces us to look outward and say, oh wow, in what ways are there 
differences between Christians that are reinforced again and again and again and again and again um, within the body of Christ that we're not even thinking about right now. That we should be proclaiming to the world something about our unity, but instead we're proclaiming to the world something very different about who we are. And there are lots of things like that that deserve our attention. And they also uh, can harm us if we don't attend to them. They can move us farther from God and his life rather than closer to God and his life. I remember when I was a pastor, you know, well after I was in that place of really struggling through this text, I remember as a pastor just feeling really torn about our church's desire to grow because all of the tools available at my disposal really to help our church grow were not about, I mean, evangelism was there, but it was also very tricky in our culture. But there was tremendous temptation to leverage the youth I had, like me personally, being a young person at that time. There was tremendous temptation for me to utilize that in a way that really just tried to capture a greater portion of the Christian market. There was tremendous pressure to do niche marketing, essentially, for me to demonstrate what product my church offered that other churches didn't offer as well, and therefore uh, our church would be worthy of the customer lo customer's loyalty. And we stop, don't stop often to, to ask ourselves, what are we doing when we assume this way of relating to each other between churches? We don't understand the, almost the violence that's inherent in such language. Like if I am willing to tear my Lutheran brother down so that I can get a few of his congregants to come to my church, I can't go around and talk at the same time about how we're all really one, we're all really doing this together. Not if I'm meaningfully opposed to him. And so uh, there are lots and lots of ways in which we ritually reinforce uh, every time a church kind of advertises itself as, you know, not like those other churches, that's the danger here, right? That we're going to reinforce those divisions in order for one part of the body to sort of enjoy a comfort that the other part of the body can't enjoy. And if God calls us together, that can't be the way that we do things. And so I don't exactly know what it means going forward. I don't have very clear, uh, a very clear understanding for it because I don't know how a church operates in a market culture without descending into that market mentality but it's something we got to work through. <laughs> and I don't mean that it's going to get solved by Sunday, but I mean, you know, the next 50 years, the next 100 years, the church is going to have to think about how are we meaningfully connecting with the world without descending to that place of reinforcing the divisions between us. Because it gives scandal to the gospel, just in the same way that the, the Corinthians gave scandal to the gospel in the way that they, um, they, that they observed the Lord's Supper. So let me pray for us. I mean, this is a huge thing, and it's something that can only happen... Again, it's something that's unlikely to happen in our lifetimes, humanly speaking. It's something that can only happen by the power of God's Spirit. And so we want to be part of the solution uh, during this uh, time we're privileged to be alive and working with him. God, we are thankful that you call us into your body. And we're thankful for the truth that your body is one and that we are called to be united. Um, we acknowledge, though, God, that it is so hard, so hard um, to live that out in a culture which very easily... Um, drives divisions and preys on divisions between people. It's hard for those of us um, who feel like we do something in a certain way that is uh, good and uh, a gift to the kingdom to not also try to sell that gift in a way that undercuts other people. We pray that you'll give wisdom to your body. We pray for the leaders of churches in uh, America and around the world just as they try to ponder how do we move forward in unity 
in a time when the world is so fractured and needs to see your unity more than ever. We pray that you'll give us insight and courage to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been good talking with you again today, and uh, tomorrow, join me one more time for one last reflection on the topic of worship. Until then, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.